turn with me in God's word to the gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 12, and it's found on page 1,168 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 12, we're continuing in our series in Mark's gospel, and in our passage today we read of the parable of the tenants. And this parable is in direct response to the opposition that Jesus was receiving from the religious leaders who are questioning Jesus' authority. And so they have a walk-on part in this parable. But not only do we see the religious leaders, I hope we also see ourselves in this parable. So let's read God's word, Mark chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 to 12. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the the wine vat and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant. And at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, He also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And so they took him and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers. And give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word our Lord stands forever. Well, this week is spring break. Uh, For most of the kids here, you're enjoying some time off from school. Uh, But maybe your mom and dad, they plan to take you on a trip, maybe go for a hike, go and see some of the beauty of southern Indiana. Well, how do you respond? Well, you are to appreciate it. You are to appreciate the beauty. Don't say, I wish I was at home watching TV. No, you don't reject it. Or maybe your folks will take you to a museum or they'll show you some incredible piece of art or some feat of engineering. How do you respond? Well, you're to be impressed. You're not to say, this is boring. Or maybe they take you to a restaurant and you can have anything on the menu, but you reject it all and complain that they don't serve Kraft mac and cheese. Well, too often young people and children can reject things without appreciating what they actually are. I'm sure that's not the case with the children in this church. Well, in our passage today, we read of rejection. 
rejecting Jesus Christ. But this passage is also a warning that you're not to reject Christ. Instead, he is to be appreciated. And so I want you to heed the warning that you're not to reject Jesus Christ, for he is the chief cornerstone. Respect him by believing in him. That is the fruit that is to be evident in your lives. So firstly, recognize God's provision of loving kindness. So verse 1, recognize God's provision of loving kindness. In the previous passage, the scribes and the elders of Israel, they question Jesus' authority, and they try to trap him. But Jesus traps them, and he puts them in a bind where they would not admit their true thoughts of Jesus for fear of the crowd. And so in response, Jesus teaches them this parable. And he describes a man planting a vineyard. He builds a hedge or a wall around it, and he builds a tower. He's therefore protecting the vineyard. And in our series in Judges, we hear of the Israelites being attacked by the surrounding nations. These nations often act like parasites, stealing the Israelites' food. And so it's important for vineyards to have protection. He also built a a wine press or a a wine vat because he was expecting a harvest from this vineyard. He was expecting fruit that would be made into wine. And this man then leases his vineyard to tenants or to vine dressers while he goes off on his travels. But he expects payment from these tenants. And the payment would be in the form of produce from the vineyard. He expects to receive the fruit of the vineyard. This all seems very mild, all very safe. But actually, Jesus is being very pointed here. The vineyard was often used to describe the nation of Israel. So as a rose would describe England, as a shamrock describes Ireland, the vine was a symbol for the nation of Israel. And we've noticed that already in Psalm 80. And we can also read of it in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 5. And turn with me to Isaiah 5, because this is an important passage uh, to this passage of Mark 12. Isaiah 5, my well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out his stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and bring down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay its waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. What is striking is just how similar Jesus' parable is with Isaiah's prophecy. 
And so Jesus is intentionally choosing words from Isaiah's prophecy so that his audience would know, without a doubt, he is making a connection between his parable and this prophecy. God had given the people of Israel the land, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the protections that this vineyard knew speaks of how God protected Israel. The walls and the towers show that he provided for them a place of refuge. He gave them a wine press, demonstrating that they would be fruitful. He gave this vineyard to tenants. And that's referring, yes, to the whole of Israel, but particularly to the spiritual leaders of Israel. They were to respond with the fruit of devotion and obedience to God. Well, the end of this passage, we see how the religious leaders, they recognize that Jesus was talking about them. It had hit a nerve. They recognized that Jesus was speaking about how God had provided for them. And so as one of God's people, you too are to recognize God's provision in your life. Jews writes, we farm a far richer vineyard than that of ancient Israel. And that's because God has given to us his loving kindness. He's given to you his grace. He is strengthening you. The Holy Spirit resides within you as one of his people. And he expects, therefore, to see fruit in your life. That fruit of a growing faith and belief in him. I wonder if any of you have had the same frustration like me when building a Lego set. And you're sure there is a missing piece and you think, how did they expect me to build this without this important piece? But sure enough, that piece appears, and you have everything that you need to finish the Lego model. And Peter speaks of something similar. Second Peter 3, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, who called us by glory and virtue. God has provided you with his loving kindness. He has given you all that you need for life and for godliness. And so in him, you will produce fruit. That is his rich provision for you and for me. Well, secondly, notice how you have rejected the word of God, verses two to five. The harvest time comes, or the New King James is described as the vintage time. The owner sends one of his servants and expects payment, his rent from the vineyard. He expects a portion of fruit from the harvest. But the tenants refused to pay. And we read that they took the servant and they beat him and they sent him away. But notice how it escalates. The next servant that the owner sends, he is stoned. His head is wounded. He's treated shamefully. The next servant that is sent is killed. And this continues. And these servants, they symbolize the prophets in the Old Testament. These prophets come in God's authority. And they demand that the people turn away from their sinful idolatry and turn to the one and true God. Think of Elijah, who defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel calling the Israelites to worship God. But instead, he was placed on the most wanted list by Jezebel and so was forced to go to the wilderness to escape. Other prophets faced persecution like Isaiah, who tradition says, was sawn in half. 
Jeremiah was forced into a pit. Zachariah was stoned. John the Baptist in the New Testament was beheaded by King Herod. God's servants were rejected by the people of God. And God continues to send servants today. It may be preachers preaching the truth of God's word. It may be your Sunday school teachers. It may be your godly parents, your Christian friends. Ferguson writes, those who remind us personally that we are to live for Christ. And the question is, how do you respond to the messengers that God sends? Do you welcome them? Or do you seek to silence the voice of God in them? But it's not only those who bring God's word. Each one of you has a complete word of God in your hands. When you don't read the Bible, you are rejecting God's word. Maybe you think, I'm okay, I know enough. Or I'm not like these religious leaders, I'm not killing the prophets of God. But when you hold to sin, whether it's secret sins, whether it's sins of omission, not doing what you should be doing, well, you are rejecting God. I know a number of you watched Professor Donnelly's funeral service and the preacher, Mark Lockridge, he quoted from John Owen, uh, where, where John writes, on acquaintedness with our mercies, our privileges is our sin as well as our trouble. We hearken not to the voice of the spirit which is given unto us, that we may know the things that are freely bestowed on us of God. This makes us go heavily when we might rejoice and to be weak where we might be strong in the Lord. So when you reject God's word by not reading it, by not listening to the preaching, you become, as Owen says, unacquainted with your privileges. As a result, you do not produce fruit. You become troubled become fruitless. You're like these wicked tenants who refuse to acknowledge the privileges that they enjoy. But thirdly, notice, God gives you his beloved son, verses 6 to 8. Finally, the owner of the vineyard decides to send his only son, his beloved son. He thinks to himself, yes, they will respect my son but we see the opposite. They reject the son and they decide to kill him. They say by removing the heir, then they would receive the inheritance. Now this seems very strange. Why would killing the owner's son mean that they would receive the vineyard? Well, it's actually not that strange because the custom of the day was that if there was land without an identifiable owner, then this land could be claimed by someone else. And so these tenants, they saw it as a chance to claim the land for themselves. Possibly they thought the owner had already died and here was the son coming to claim the land for himself. And so they think that by killing the son, they would then claim the vineyard for themselves. They wanted the proceeds of the vineyard all to themselves. They wanted to be the master of their own vineyard. Well, it's not hard to see who the son is in this parable. Jesus is speaking of himself. Describing the son as the only son speaks of his uniqueness. Jesus is not just another prophet. No, this is God himself coming into the world that the world can know him. He 
he is a beloved son. And this is familiar for Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration. God the Father describes Jesus as his beloved son. And yet God the Father, out of his love for his people, sends his beloved son. But the religious leaders, they have rejected Jesus. They will not submit to his authority. And it's not a case that they don't recognize Jesus. They do recognize him. They see his authority. They see him as a threat to their way of life, to their authority over the people. And so it's no wonder that they want to get rid of him, as we see in verse 12. Now, Jesus has already predicted his death three times in Mark's gospel. And in this parable, we see another prediction of his death. He knows that these religious leaders will give him no more respect than what was shown to the prophets. He knows their plans to kill him. And so he predicts his death, that they would kill him and they would throw him outside the vineyard. And this speaks of his humiliating death, which would be fulfilled in dying on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is therefore confronting these religious leaders, he knew their evil plans. Their plans had been found out. He knew that they were out to destroy him. And so he exposes them. He warns them. But it's not just the religious leaders. Every time that we deny Christ, we deny his lordship in our life, we are rejecting him. So when you hold to your sin and you won't let go of it, you are rejecting his authority in your life. We become like a stubborn child who will not do as they are told, even though it's for their own benefit. They're unwilling to submit to authority. And sadly, that is too often a picture of you and me. Jews rise to deny that Christ is, in a sense, God is to kill him. Some have been killing him this way all their lives. Jesus came into this world knowing that he would be rejected. So he is reaching out to you even in his death. For it is in his death that he saves you. Outside the vineyard speaks of being unclean. For in Israel it was the unclean who were kept outside the city walls. And so Jesus' death will be unclean. He would carry the sins of his people. He would die as their sacrifice to save them from their sins. That is his love for you. Spurgeon writes, if you reject him, he answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he died to redeem. And if you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus' love made manifest. And so God gives you his son that even though you reject him, will have life if you finally respect him as the authority in your life. Well, fourthly, notice, heed the warning that if you reject the son, you face judgment. Jesus asks the question, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? What would you expect from this injustice? And Jesus says he will come and judge the vine dressers, the tenants, and give his vineyard to others. Jesus is giving a warning that if you continue to reject him, he will judge you. And these religious leaders, 
nation of Israel. They were judged in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed the temple. Many were killed. Many were removed from Jerusalem. But this is only pointing forward to the final judgment. For at the final judgment, all those who reject the Son, who reject Christ, will be judged. They will face the wrath of God for their unbelief. And the vineyard will be given to another. For the religious leaders, this pointed to the inclusion of the Gentiles to the people of God. For although Israel was meant to be a light to the nations, to the Gentiles, Israel did not fulfill its responsibilities. They were happy to be part of this exclusive group. No wonder they allowed the court of the Gentiles in the temple to be turned into a market. Well, Christ, who is the light of the world, would bring in the Gentiles to his kingdom. And so Jesus tells these religious leaders the repercussions of them rejecting him. This is a warning for the vineyard. It will not be wasted. It will be given to others. Now, last week we got to enjoy from Abe Woodward sandwiches from Penn Station East Coast Subs. The event that they were catering for did not use up all the food. Well, the food was not wasted. Many of us got to enjoy these sandwiches. And in a similar way, God has prepared a vineyard for his people. And if you reject Christ... God has other people. His banqueting table will be filled with those who love him. And so it's no surprise to see that while Christ is being rejected here in the West, Christ gives his vineyard to others. And as a result, we see the churches growing in Africa, in Iran, in China. God will not be left wanting. His vineyard will not go to waste. Millions of people will enjoy his saving grace. We'll finally notice that Christ is a chief cornerstone, and so you are to believe in him. Jesus closes the parable by quoting from Psalm 118. The psalm speaks of his victory, that he would triumph in the end. This is a psalm that was sung as he entered into Jerusalem. Remember the crowd shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, before these words, we have this verse. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. These verses are describing the building of Solomon's temple. The stone was brought to the building site, but the builders, they could find no use for it in the building of the temple, and so they threw it aside. And it would be this rejected stone that would Proved to be crucial in the end. The New King James translates this as a cornerstone, which would be at the bottom of the building. The ESV it translates it as a capstone. The capstone is necessary for holding an arch together. And so this rejected stone, it proved to be perfectly shaped stone to hold an arch together and so provide an entrance into God's temple. This capstone points to Christ. He was rejected by the people, but he would prove to be the means of entering God's presence. He would be lifted up. He would be resurrected from the dead. He would triumph. And so it is in him that we are resurrected and able to enter the Father's presence. Our response is to believe in him, to recognize that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation, that 
he is the only way to God the Father. That in him we also know the resurrection. And so Jesus does what Israel could not do. That's why he calls himself the vine. When he says, I am the true vine. He's really saying, I am the true Israel. He is saying he is the embodiment of all that Israel should be. He did not reject the word of God. Instead, he abided by God's word. And as God's people, we are privileged to be branches off that vine, in the vine of Christ. And so we are in Christ, and we enjoy the blessing of salvation as a result. But in your recognition that Christ is a way of salvation, you are a branch in this vine. Do not grow proud. Paul spoke of this to the Romans, to Gentiles who were given the vineyard. Romans 11. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God and those who fail severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Your response, therefore, should not be one of pride, but recognize the goodness of God. You must see Christ, not as defeated and rejected, but as the chief cornerstone, the one in whom your salvation is secure the one in whom you can say, this is marvelous in my eyes. He is the one who has opened your eyes. He is the one who has enabled you to believe in him and not reject him. So heed the warning. You are not to reject Jesus Christ, but he is the chief cornerstone. Respect him by believing in him. That is the fruit that is to be evident in your life. One of the things that really struck me about Professor Donnelly's funeral service was how evangelistic it was. I heard that they were estimating that there'd be over 500 people in attendance. And they gave those present who did not know Christ a free copy of Mr. Donnelly's book, Heaven and Hell. Mr. Donnelly wrote this book on the topic of Heaven and Hell, and there's copies on our book table, and because so many people are reluctant to consider hell. And they have a false idea of heaven. Uh, Mr. Donnelly, in his first chapter in hell, he writes, We must be persuaded that neglecting this doctrine will endanger our own souls and the souls of generations to come. Hell is the location for all who reject Jesus Christ. But heaven, which as Mr. Donnelly says, is too great for unconverted people to understand, too magnificent to be grasped, by unaided human reason. God has revealed these things to us by his spirit. With his word in our hands, we can know about heaven. And so through Jesus Christ, your chief cornerstone, you can be sure of heaven. Isn't it marvelous in your eyes that Jesus Christ once was rejected, and now he is the chief cornerstone. It is in him that you have life. So respond by producing the fruit of believing in him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus Christ. In our sinfulness, we have rejected Christ. We wanted to abide by our own authority. 
that is the way to judgment. And so we thank you that Christ, who once was the rejected stone, is now the chief cornerstone. It is in him that we have life. It is in him that we are part of the vineyard and so enjoy eternal life. And so help us to respond by, by rejoicing and saying that this is marvelous in our eyes. And so we pray this in his name. Let's turn and sing this psalm, Psalm 118a, that was quoted in our passage. And let's also join the psalmist saying, this is the doing of the Lord, and it is wondrous in our eyes. That is our response to Jesus saving us the way he did, for as a result, we enjoy his endless days, his love for endless days. Let's stand and sing Psalm 118a. <laughs> 